Welcome to Dyslexia Uncovered. I'm your host, Tim Odegaard. In today's episode, the birth of language, from fireside chats to modern-day social media. We'll explore the fascinating evolution of language as we set the stage for the topic of dyslexia in future episodes. As we begin, let's consider how language has been a powerful achievement for us as humans enabling the transmission of knowledge and skills across generations. Our reliance on specialized knowledge, skills, and the preservation of that wisdom has been made possible by language, initially oral language, and the invention of writing systems allowed us to store vast amounts of information with unparalleled accuracy, shaping our world into what it is today. Language, in its oral form, has been with us for an extensive period, some suggest for over 240,000 years. Through our oral traditions, we sat around campfires, sharing stories, gossip, and insights, shaping our understanding of the world and ourselves. I mean, we are social animals after all, and one of the most useful aspects of language is how it allows us to learn about ourselves and others. Our ability to communicate and speak has involved into an inherent aspect of our neurobiology, progressing through generations. And, with the advent of written language, or a more recent human achievement that occurred roughly 2,700 years ago, that wasn't that long ago if you think about it. But with that advent, we have been able to expand exponentially what we can learn and share through the generations. So, let's focus on this remarkable journey of achievement. Part 1. Fireside Chats. Exploring Oral Language. Let's start our journey by going back 200,000 years ago when our ancestors communicated through gestures, grunts, and rudimentary vocalizations. This era, known as the Paleolithic period, witnessed the birth of our earliest forms of language. Unlike the primal communications found in other species, which often rely on simple sounds and gestures for survival, human language evolved into a complex kaleidoscope of intricately nuanced expression. This distinctive linguistic capacity sets our species apart, fostering the intellectual and cultural advancements that define us. And this is exemplified by the cognitive revolution spanning from 70,000 to 30,000 years ago which ignited the emergence of complex language. It reshaped human cognition, altering social structures and cultural identities, as highlighted by Yuval Harari in his insightful book, Sapiens. This explosion of complexity allows us to generate an unlimited number of unique utterances, phrases, and sentences to describe aspects of the world around us. And, just as importantly, to form groups that can work more purposely together towards goals, gathering resources, and guarding against other groups of warring factions of humans. Oral traditions became the lifeblood of human culture. Master storytellers of ancient civilizations, such as the Mesopotamians, Egyptians, and Greeks, wove intricate narratives that were passed down through generations. Over millennia, oral communication transcended borders, carrying wisdom across vast distances, the stories of survival, agricultural practices, celestial observations, and philosophical ideas discussed through oral traditions shaped civilization. 
let's stop to pause and reflect on how many contemplative and spiritual practices and seasonal traditions we still observe to this day that are steeped in the rich legacy of oral traditions that predate our ability to capture them in writing. The importance of language compels me to delve more deeply into oral language and how it is structured, to learn a little bit more about it as we get our first glimpses of these topics. We will undoubtedly be returning to aspects of language, its structure, and development in subsequent episodes. Please do not think that I am covering all aspects of oral language or written language in this episode. We are starting with a few important aspects to help ground us and get us ready for other topics to come. But for now, let's consider a little about how oral language is structured. Oral language is characterized by distinct sounds that are assembled, allowing us to form spoken words. Our unique vocalization of sounds is what in modern times we refer to as phonology. These building blocks are known as phonemes, and each language has evolved to have its own slightly different set of phonemes. And when a baby is born into this world, they are capable of hearing all of the varied sounds that are captured across all the spoken languages around the globe. Researchers who study language development have captured recordings of babies babbling the myriad of phonemes found in languages to which they are not exposed. But through exposure to the specific language or languages around them all the time, the phonological systems and representations in their brains are fine-tuned through statistical learning to recognize and produce the distinct set of phonemes in the languages they hear every day. And we are born with wiring in our brain and the learning systems that allow us to learn the statistical structure of how the specific phonemes unique to our language or languages are combined to form spoken words. And we also learn the boundaries between words, which aren't defined by pauses as much as they are defined by the likelihood of certain phonemes being paired together and proceeding or following one another in words and the boundaries between words. That is breathtaking in its complexity and mind-boggling when I stop to marvel at how pre-wired we are to learn spoken language. Through exposure to the sounds and observing the mouths of their caregivers and others in their world, children come to understand and be able to produce their mother tongue. Have you ever noticed how kids mimic? That's not just play. It's a fundamental step in language development. Through imitation and mimicry, children learn to navigate the intricate world of language. And they aren't just using mimicry and statistical learning to learn the phonological structure of language. They are also learning the language's syntax. Syntax is the arrangement of words to create well-formed sentences in a language. It's often described as the rule book that governs how words come together to form meaningful phrases and sentences. You can imagine it as kind of an architect's blueprint, organizing words into coherent and comprehensible sequences. This unique framework enables us to convey complex ideas, emotions, and intentions with precision. One of the greatest attributes of complex language is how it enables us to use syntactic structure to form a seemingly boundless set of ideas, allowing us a pathway to express and share our creativity and innovation. As children continue their language development, 
they gradually grasped the intricate rules of syntax, piecing together words in ways that conveyed specific meanings. Syntax underpins our ability to construct sentences that flow logically, shaping conversations and written expressions, which is foreshadowing of things to come. Oral language comes first in the history of our species and the development of children as they build on oral language to acquire written language. Oral language has what is known as developmental precedence. It comes before written language as a child develops language. And the ease with which a child acquires oral language skills is a strong predictor of how well they will acquire written language. And it's one of the best predictors of the reading and spelling challenges characteristic of dyslexia. It is also indicative of the challenges that surface for those children who experience a developmental language disability, impacting their ability to produce and understand complex, meaningful language. These incredible abilities, rooted deep in our evolution, laid the groundwork for our species' linguistic abilities. And, as social animals, oral language and the oral traditions they fostered were so very important to who we are as a people. The formation of complex societies was built in part on these capabilities, leading us to a modern world where language is not just a tool, but a cornerstone of our humanity. Part 2. From Scribes to Social Media, The Transformative Power of Written Language Let's transition as we progress to the invention of written language as a species. Written language is something that most of us take for granted, but relatively speaking, it is a fairly new human invention, one that further shaped our cognition and way of thinking and working in the world. It allowed us to externalize our thinking into a high-fidelity and durable form. This allows us to expand past the limitations of our limited working memories to consider larger thoughts and concepts that build over time. Think about the simple act of making out a to-do list. You can offload the worries of what you have to do later in the day, allowing you to focus on the task at hand. Or what about that grocery list for the market later on today? No wonder the Greeks developed mnemonics to help them remember long lists of things. Most of them would not have been able to write it down in an easily accessible and inexpensive form that could allow them something so trivial as a list for the market. And written language shifted how we communicate with others and the scope of our communication. When I sit and think of how far we have come, with a simple set of strokes, I can transform my thoughts into written language and transmit those thoughts seemingly instantaneously to someone thousands of miles away. In a blink of an eye, those thoughts can be published to anyone who stumbles across my social media outlets, my blog, or some public forum for communication with others. We live in a world that has reimagined the agora of ancient Greek society into a virtual space that lives at a global scale, all made possible in part by the advent of written language. But where did this all come from? When did the first writing systems start to emerge? To answer this question, we have to think back to ancient Mesopotamia around 3500 BCE. Picture, cuneiform tablets etched with wedge-shaped symbols. This was one of the earliest writing systems. What is a cuneiform? Cuneiform 
is a writing system characterized by wedge-shaped marks made on clay tablets using a stylus. These marks were combinations of various simple shapes representing different objects or ideas. And it wasn't just the Mesopotamians. The same was happening in Egypt. Around 3200 BCE, hieroglyphs began adorning temple walls, encapsulating stories and spirituality to later be discovered for the world to marvel at. And the evolution of written language isn't confined to just one area of the world. In ancient Mesoamerica, the Mayans developed glyphs, intricate symbols that represented concepts and numbers which they painted in vivid pictures to document their history and beliefs. But cuneiform and hieroglyphs are not the same as our modern writing systems. These initial writing systems were pictographic in nature. Symbols represented concrete objects. They did not provide any information about how to pronounce a word, and they were largely confined to concrete objects that could be easily represented by a picture. Fast forward to 1200 BCE in China, where oracle bones bore inscriptions, ancient Chinese characters that laid the foundation for a script that has endured for millennia. These oracles contain characters that weren't mere words. They represented the combination of meaning and form, capturing the essence of the spoken language. Unlike cuneiform and hieroglyphs, which use pictorial representations of entire concrete objects, ancient Chinese characters would evolve into a combination of semantic and phonetic elements, capturing both meaning and sound within a character. But many, if not most of you out there listening to this are probably confused at this point because we don't use in our English language or other languages similar to the English language pictures to represent objects and marks to indicate their pronunciation like they do in Chinese logographic type systems. And that's because around 1000 BCE, we saw the advent of alphabetic writing systems. Alphabets were individual characters to represent distinct sounds or phonemes a major shift in the history of writing. Instead of a symbol for a whole word, alphabets use letters to form the building blocks of language, those sounds, marking the birth of a versatile and efficient writing system. One of the key components of alphabetic writing systems is their ability to represent the sounds of spoken language through a relatively small set of characters. Unlike logographic systems, that have thousands of symbols, alphabets use a limited number of letters, creating a manageable and flexible writing system. Becoming a fundamental aspect of global communication and commerce that endures to this day. Where did this all come from? Well, the Phoenicians developed one of the first alphabets, a set of symbols representing consonants. The Phoenician alphabet served as a catalyst for a more complex writing system developed by the Greeks. Because the Greeks expanded on the concept introduced by the Phoenicians by adding vowels to the mix, laying the foundation for the alphabetic systems we use today. These alphabets made it more accessible, aiding in the spread of literacy. But I don't want you to think that in these ancient civilizations that literacy was widespread and available to everybody. Literacy was still a luxury, not a universal right. It wasn't something that everyone had the opportunity to learn. Reading and writing were skills reserved for the elites, the scribes, the priests, the rulers, and the scholars. The majority of the folks, the common people, did not have the chance to learn these skills. And so imagine a world where only a select few have the power to capture their thoughts, stories, and knowledge in a durable, high-fidelity 
written form. The concept of universal education and literacy as a fundamental human right was yet to be embraced. There's probably a host of reasons for this, but part of it was the availability of printed books. Those were reserved for a select few. They weren't widely available to everybody to be exposed to. Instead, this was a time when knowledge and information were largely confined within the circles of the privilege. But the introduction of vowels by the Greeks expanded the potential of alphabets because this set the stage for a slow, gradual shift towards more widespread literacy in the coming centuries, a monumental step in human history, making knowledge and education accessible to far more. Even still, it wasn't as if you could just go and grab a book off the shelf. Print wasn't accessible. It was painstakingly hard to copy books using a pen and ink. It wasn't until the invention of the printing press in 1440 by Johannes Gutenberg that the world witnessed a transformative leap in access to print. Gutenberg's invention mechanized the production of books and other printed materials through movable type, enabling the rapid duplication of text on a scale previously unimaginable. By producing books more efficiently and affordably, the printing press significantly increased the availability of printed material. This accessibility to printed works fostered a surge in literacy rates across Europe, allowing knowledge to trickle down to broader segments of society. However, despite this leap forward, widespread literacy remained a luxury for many. That is because unlike oral language, we don't come pre-wired through exposure to print, to learn, to read, and write. That requires formal education, formal education in the fundamental print skills needed to read and write, which beget literacy. And formal education was still largely limited to the privileged classes who had the means to access it. It wasn't until subsequent centuries, as educational reforms gained momentum, that strides were made toward establishing formal education systems accessible to a larger segment of society. However, we have to make sure that the education is truly right to equip people to do something which is not innately easy or inherent to us as humans. We're not innately able to pick up a book and read it, or through exposure, develop that capacity. It isn't the love of reading that gifts it to us. It's the work it takes to learn those skills through direct instruction. Part three, putting it all together. We have come so far as a species. How we interact with each other and how we think has been forever changed by the human invention of written language. But we still have inequities to access to literacy for a host of reasons. Some are based on genetic differences that increase the likelihood that children will struggle with various aspects of language. Others are social determinants and access to educational opportunities that fit the needs of a child. The gene-brain-environment interaction that those of you who have heard me speak or read some of my writings know that I speak to often, which sets up where we are going as we move into dyslexia. So in closing, thank you. I have lived my life in service of children, caring for them, teaching them, and using science to answer simple, straightforward questions to highlight cracks children get lost in, and finding ways to tell others about these fractures in the foundation 
of our society in hopes that we each do our part to fill them. I know that I am not alone in this work because my work builds on others who devoted their lives in similar ways. And I work alongside so many others today who do the very same thing. I hope that I can count on you among the people who will learn about those cracks and work to fill them so that we can move towards a day of universal literacy for all, even for those of us for whom language and literacy are challenging for us to learn, like myself and so many others. Thank you. I'll talk with you next time. 